You're listening to the Ignite Sessions podcast, hosted by Virginia Tech Chi Alpha. Our hope for this podcast is to encourage listeners to pursue God's kingdom and His righteousness. We hope you're blessed by today's episode. Tonight, a friend of mine by the name of David Bradshaw is going to come and share. He, yeah, give it up. And there's some new faces in the room, so I just love to do this because before Dave and I really even knew each other by name, David came and partnered with us in a 12-hour in a prayer meeting on the drill field under a tent. And it was because a student had a vision to have a 12-hour a, a prayer meeting to unite for life because you know the history of Virginia Tech. There's been a lot of death here, probably more death than actually anybody in the room really knows because so much has flown under radar. And... Um, so we, we held this prayer meeting, $10,000 to pull off a prayer meeting. And David came down, and he spoke, and he was, he was partnering with us in that. We met briefly in that moment. I think a year later, he, he and the team were coming through, and they asked if they could teach a class. And, and I had no idea David was, was coming. And so we said, yes, let's do it. We, we promoted it. But then, like, I find out that David is, well, because I went to the class, and David was preaching. I was like, we if I would have known, we, we needed to get everybody here. Because every time David comes, every time he comes and shares, because there's anointing on his life, because he's given himself to prayer and fasting as a lifestyle, we see the anointing released in the room, and, and our prayer meetings are taking up, taken up right? Like more people show up to our prayer meetings. Why? Because there's something imparted as he begins to declare and speak. And so it is uh, an, just an honor and a privilege to have David with us. And there's so much more that, that I could say about this man, but we're so grateful that you would take your time out to come and, and speak with us. Can we give it up for, for David Bradshaw? Well, I, I, love, I love Anthony and just the whole team here. Um, I feel like I'm at home Every time we come, um, it is family, and uh, it's been an amazing, I can't believe, what year was that? 2010, oh my gosh, we're getting a little old, Anthony, um, but uh, it's been, that's I guess 12 years, can I do the math right, 12 years, um, and uh, it's been an amazing 12 years, and so it's really a joy to be here. I, I told um, I texted Anthony, what was that, maybe a couple months ago, month and a half or so. Um, out of the blue, um, we were having a board meeting, believe it or not. Sounds exciting, right? And uh, we're talking about finances and just the stuff you have to talk about for board meetings for any organization. I know there's probably three of you that know that experience. But, and somebody in the room goes, God's about to move on the university campuses and said like three sentences. And all of a sudden, my wife is sitting in the meeting trying to, and by the way, that's not like the most unbelievable prophetic word. How many of you know God's always about to move on college campuses because there's a conglomeration of young people. It's not like that's new information, but for whatever reason, my wife is trying to take notes, minutes for the meeting, and she's crying. And all of a sudden, the spirit of prayer hits the board meeting. We can't even, and, and I'm like, what is happening for campuses? And I go to bed that night, and, um, or maybe it was the next night, it was one or two days later, and I have this dream of Virginia Tech. And I'm standing with our team in Virginia, and every one of us are wearing Virginia Tech shirts in the dream. And this man walks up to me, and he's a pastor, and he goes, why are you all wearing Virginia Tech shirts? And I said, because what the Holy Spirit's doing on Virginia Tech 
is so dear to our heart, we feel like we might as well be a student because we're so bought in. And not just Virginia Tech, but the universities of America. And so I, I just, uh, the dream hit me. It was very vivid. How many of you know God still talks sometimes through dreams? He's, it, this is one of the languages of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean every dream you have is the Holy Spirit. Thank the Lord. <laughs> but, but he still uses the language of dreams, right? So I get up the next morning. I go into our prayer room, and Chris Jones right here with the beautiful long blonde hair is leading worship, and he's got a Virginia Tech shirt on. And I'm like, well, that's weird. That's what I dreamed last night. So I texted Anthony, and I just said, I feel like God is just, you guys are on my heart, on our hearts. And so we just begin to pray for you in our prayer room in Fredericksburg. And because I believe God's eyes are on you, God's eyes are on this campus. And yes, there's been a reputation for death in the past, but, but there's also a reputation for the move of God on this campus. And... Um, I mean, how cool is this? We get to gather for 72 hours straight in worship and prayer. I mean, this is, who does that? I mean, that's the, I don't know if any of you have just shared with any of your classmates that maybe aren't believers what we're doing. They'll look at you sideways. You're doing what, 24 hours a day? Praying 24 hours a day? I remember when we were on the National Mall in D.C. in 2017, we had uh, 58 tents covering the whole National Mall, uh, which is the grassy area between the Capitol and the Washington Monument. And uh, there was about 1,700 worship teams there filling these 58 tents. And what did they do? They worshiped and prayed 24 hours a day on their own dime. Like nobody paid them to come. I didn't know who was going to come when we did this, but the reason I mentioned that is we had all these tents going, and they're worshiping around the clock, literally 24 hours a day. You go at 2 o'clock in the morning, and there's 58 tents filled with singing. I love God's kingdom, don't you? There's things about God's kingdom that are upside down and backwards to the world. Like, who would come up with that stuff? Gather people around the clock to talk to God and play instruments? And it, it bears eternal fruit, and angels and demons start moving and shifting, and healing breaks out, and people start getting saved and giving their life to Jesus, and unity starts coming, and all we're doing is talking to God. And uh, I remember in the middle of it, we had 58 tents set up. I'm standing on the National Mall. I'm looking at all these tents. I'm like, I hope people show up tomorrow. And this guy comes out from the Smithsonian, a scientist, way smarter than me. I knew instantly, this guy knew 10 times more than I do. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, this is, um, this is a prayer meeting. He goes, I've never seen so many tents on the National Mall my whole life. I've worked here for 16 years in D.C. And he asked the exact right question. He goes, why? Actually, what he said was, I hope while you're at it, you at least take care of some endangered species. I'm like, this is worship. And this guy, it completely messed with his paradigm of the world. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, these people, it's like what C.S. Lewis said. Either Jesus is who he said he was, or is he a lunatic? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, there's things he calls us to do that the world looks at and goes, that does not make sense to me. And yet, from heaven's perspective, 
it makes all the sense in the world. And I want to just tell you what we're about to do and what you're doing in these 72 hours. The world, your classmates mates might look at this and go, you're doing what? But actually, that's a great opportunity to tell them about the love of Jesus because that, that, there's good answers to that question. But the world might look at it and say it's a, it's a complete and total waste of time. But I want to tell you, heaven has a different perspective tonight. Jesus has a different thought about this. This is so special. Do you know that we've moved his heart just by showing up here tonight? You're like, I just showed up for the prayer meeting. You just moved his heart. Sitting in these chairs, pouring out your heart to him, you've moved the heart of the God of Genesis 1. The God that created heaven and earth is moved with affection because you showed up and you lift your voice to him. So there's more going on than meets the eye right now. And I, I just feel like it's so much fun to be able to be a part of this with you guys. Because, guys, anything can happen the next 72 hours. I just want to say that again. Anything can happen. Not because we're powerful. It's the person on the other side of the conversation that matters. <laughs> you know, prayer's not about prayer. How many of you know that? When you make prayer about prayer, it gets really boring. But it's not about prayer. It's about, that's the person on the other side of the conversation that can do anything, and who likes you, incidentally. It's really helpful to know that he actually likes you. He does. So anyway, I, I'm just honored to be a part of this. Um, and what I'd love to do for a minute here is, if you have a Bible, could you open it to Matthew 5? I was driving down here, and I felt like the Lord put this on my heart. How many of you guys love the Sermon on the Mount? Any Sermon on the Mount people in here? Where are you at? Oh, good. For those of you who don't know, the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5 through 7. And it's, uh, it was the first great uh, sermon series of Jesus. It wasn't a series. It was, it was a message that he, he gave at the very beginning of his ministry. And many have said that the Sermon on the Mount is like the, the Constitution of the kingdom of God, or like the values of the kingdom of God. It's where Jesus gives us the culture of his kingdom. And um, I love these first few verses of the Sermon on the Mount. And I think if we're going to pray day and night, what needs to happen is our values need to begin to shift. Because again, God's kingdom is upside down and backwards from the world's system. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. What an intense verse. He goes, I've got a controversy with the way the world thinks. The way, the way wisdom is portrayed in the world. It's, my wisdom is so radically different than the world's wisdom. I'm going to destroy it. And that's the loving God. That's our Father. It's because He is love. He goes, I have to destroy the backwards wisdom of the world that bears no fruit. Because the thing that happened at the fall when sin entered humanity is we, we all got like this orphan spirit, this independence from God, this desire to conjure something up or self-promote or idolize our, our own selves. And so Jesus, in his first teaching, gives us these values of the upside-down kingdom of God. And as I was driving over here, my heart was just burning 
to see a generation capture these things. I want to tell you something. The value system that you're being indoctrinated into with the world tells you that identity is found in external successes. It tells you that the size of your social media following, the amount of money that you have, how many people know you and like you is the litmus test for joy. And here's the problem. It's a complete illusion. And we buy it, don't we? We like go through the day and we're looking every post we post. We're constantly assessing and we're getting identity out of it. What I mean by identity is what makes you feel successful. Seriously, at the end of the day, when you close your eyes, how do you define success? What gives you the sense of value as a human being? That's where you're finding your identity. That's what I mean by the term identity. What makes you feel successful? What makes you feel fulfilled? How are you finding that? And the illusion, the great illusion, is that it can come in earthly happiness. How many of you know that's, a, that's an illusion? It's not real. And the sooner we get delivered and we discover actual joy, what brings actual fulfillment, and then we become free to live in those values. How many of you want to be free to live in those Like, free from the shackles of the mind. Free from the value system that causes you to shrivel up on the inside because it's not real. Jesus, right at the beginning, I love it, right at the beginning of his teaching, just dismantles it in the very first sentence. Seriously, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. One sentence just dismantled the entire value system of the spirit of the age. An atomic bomb went off. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I love Jesus And I believe the Holy Spirit tonight wants to dismantle these value systems, and I believe he can do it relatively quickly if we submit to him. I feel like coming in tonight, there's like a rewiring of some of us. Because we haven't even realized we're living in this value system. That's an illusion. Money and fame and even secondary good things like marriage or and even money is not a bad thing, right? And fame can be a useful tool that God could use in someone's life. These things are not bad things, but they're an illusion when we're finding identity in them, core identity. And there's a whole generation that is being demonically indoctrinated And every day you're staring at it. Every day, every day it's in your heart. And what the Holy Spirit wants to do in this 72 hours of prayer and in your life right now is set your heart free. So you can be who you're actually created to be and live with freedom and not strive after false identities that never, ever satisfy. You know, It's so easy even to find identity in a core way in the things God's even called you to do for him. That's crazy, isn't it? I'm not just talking about the love of money, and I'm not just talking about trying to be famous. I'm talking about sometimes we can find our sense of value 
in ministry. What God's called you to, your assignment is not the same thing as your identity. And if you find your value and your worth and your identity in your assignment, you might be an insecure person because guess what? In your assignment, there's going to be trials. And up and down and back and forth. And you're going to have breakthroughs and then warfare. And then, and if you find your identity in that, you're going to be like, I, I, I thought there was a time in my life when I thought if I could make it in ministry, I would be happy. And, what I, and I had a very specific definition. Now, I never would have said this. I wasn't, I knew how to be spiritual. I love the 12 disciples in the Gospels, because they didn't know how to be spiritual yet. You know what I'm talking about? And they had a six-month argument out loud in front of Jesus about who's the greatest. Can you imagine? These guys sat around out loud in front of Jesus and said, I'm better than him, and here's why. For six months, all the way up until the Last Supper, in the upper room at the Last Supper, it says they were sitting at the table, and an argument broke out about who was greatest. We're, a lot of us are too spiritual for that. We do it in our hearts, but we don't say it out loud. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's all in there. We're just like, bless you, brother. You know what I'm saying? The guy gets up. He's anointed. You're like, mm, you know what? Bless you, man. Come on. And, and let's be honest. Like, artists and musicians, you guys are the worst. No, I love you. I love you. I'm just being, keeping it real. Just keeping it 100. Like, you see a talented person, you get like, like you start manifesting, kind of. You're just like, sorry. <laughs> so identity. <laughs> Let's just pray right now for all the musicians and artists in the room, just that that orphan spirit would get healed that I just inflicted upon them. <laughs> no. You guys know what I'm saying in, in fun, but I remember when I thought if I could make it, and I had a definition of making it in my mind, I would be happy. And there are secondary happinesses in breakthroughs in ministry. It's not, we're not going to get weirdly religious and say that's not true. Of course it is. When God breaks through, it's awesome. But when you're finding your, well, here's what I discovered, and I'm not, I've had little measures of breakthrough and then all of it. But there's been measures of breakthrough. And I want to tell you, I wasn't happier after the breakthroughs in the core of my being than I was before. Because there are seasons of hiddenness and seasons of manifestation, and God is in both. Because his highest priority for you actually has to do with your heart, not just what you're going to do for him. And there are times where God will resist you in the very thing you're supposed to do. You ever read the life of David? Or Joseph? Or Jesus? Or Paul? Right? God, not, he, he will actually lovingly resist the things you want to do for him, which is confusing when you think they're really good things. That God, all I want to do is lead worship and be a famous worship leader. God, that's all I want to do. This is a good thing. And he's like, and God will sometimes not allow those things to happen because he's more concerned for your heart. He's in a different set of values. Because fruitfulness comes from intimacy. 
I was, I was reading this little book. I, I keep talking about this everywhere. Sorry, those of you in Fredericksburg. It, it's this book by this guy named Henry Now, and he was like a Harvard scholar, blah, blah, blah. Amazing, you know, with the Lord now. Talking about, oh, listen to this sentence. He, if I can find it. He said, after 20 years in the academic world as a teacher of pastoral psychology, pastoral theology, and Christian spirituality, I began to experience a deep inner threat. As I entered into my 50s and was able to realize the unlikelihood of doubling my years, I came face to face with the simple question, did becoming older bring me closer to Jesus? After 25 years in ministry, I found myself praying poorly, living somewhat isolated from other people, and very much preoccupied with burning issues. Everyone was saying I was doing really well. But something inside was telling me that my success was putting my own soul into danger. I began to ask myself whether my lack of prayer, my loneliness, and my constantly changing involvement in what seemed to be the most urgent things were signs that the Spirit was gradually being suppressed. I never spoke about hell or only jokingly so, Though I never spoke about hell or only jokingly so, I woke up one day with the realization that I was living in a very dark place and that the term burnout was a convenient psychological translation for a spiritual death. Do you know what he did? He quit his job at Harvard. And he went and he worked at a community of mentally handicapped. And he gave all of his final years, a guy that had PhDs, taught at Harvard and Yale, wrote multiple books, could have been on the lecture circuit, could have made a ton of money doing that, spent the last years of his life sitting with people that couldn't even talk to him, couldn't say thank you, didn't care at all about all his credentials, and, and he learned how to love. Because the value system of heaven is free. And I believe tonight, as we go into this 24-hour prayer, which the world thinks is crazy, may God set our hearts free with a whole new value system. Because God didn't tell you to repent of desiring fulfillment or joy. There's nothing in the Bible. Actually, the Gospels are totally different than that. Do you know that God never came to, the, to you and he said, hey, listen, your desire for happiness and joy and fulfillment and success and... Um, impact. He, he never said repent of those things. There's not some weird religious thing that's like, don't, don't desire joy, don't desire happiness, don't want to make an impact, don't want to be successful. What he does is redefine them from a heavenly perspective. He redefines it. I'm telling you right now, it's time to go after joy and impact and even success more than ever, not less, but redefine it. Get free. Because when you're going after that other value system, the one that's on your social media every single day, the one that's in every, almost every movie you watch, to some degree, it gets you all wrapped up, bound up, and it actually creates an illusion. And I just think Jesus breaks the illusion. And he gives you an invitation. Jesus is inviting you into something tonight, guys. So here we are, Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It's a weird phrase, huh? 
He's not talking about economic poverty. He's not saying it's, you're more blessed when you have no money at all and you can't feed your family. But to be poor in spirit means that you've looked at the things of the world and you've recognized that in them there's no life in and of themselves. You've discovered that in your own soul you don't have the power to change yourself. And you've realized that the only one that brings ultimate satisfaction is God himself. And you become free. The poor in spirit means you are aware. Now, this sounds contrary to the, to the world, doesn't it? You're aware of your urgent need. The world tells you, if you have need of something, cover it up. Hide it. Act strong. Get yourself together. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Be the best you. Don't let your weakness out. Hide it on social media. Make yourself look good every day and every hour. And Jesus goes, you know what? The ones that have come to the end of all of that get the kingdom of heaven. And so the other side of poverty of spirit means not only do you know that you have need of God. Hey, this is such good news. Not only do you know that you have need of God, you become free from possessing your life. I got this Diedrich Bonhoeffer quote here. He says, For his sake they have lost all. In following him they've lost even their own selves and everything that could make them rich. Now they are poor. So inexperienced that they have no other hope but him who called them. So the entry point, I just, I love this sentence. Isn't this amazing? Jesus blows up the false value system in one sentence. And what I want to tell you right now, to be poor in spirit is to be free. Seriously, think about this for a minute. What if you realized Jesus never told you to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and just be your best you? That's not the gospel. He never told you, fix yourself. He didn't say that. And that's good news, because you ever tried? The answer is, you have. And the really good news is, everyone in this room has failed at fixing themselves. And the poor in spirit know that, and they've given up the dream of fixing themselves. They gave it up. You guys, you can, you can go on a fast from trying to fix yourself in your own strength for the rest of your life. This is, sounds like freedom. You don't, and then you no longer possess your life. Have you ever tried to possess your life? When Jesus came and said, take up your cross and follow me, that might sound like a hard, heavy trip, but it's the most freeing thing you've ever done. Because when you're trying to grip your life and protect your life and preserve your life and keep yourself, you lose sleep. And you lose much more than sleep. You sin. And you hurt people. And you get into self-preservation because you're trying to protect your life. Guess what? You can go on a permanent fast of protecting and preserving yourself. You can't fix yourself and you don't have to possess your life anymore. 
you're free. Because you're now in touch with the greater reality of the only one that can fix your life, of Jesus. Which that's what the name Jesus means, Yeshua. The name Jesus, it means Yahweh saves. How many are glad God saves? He doesn't just forgive, He saves. He saved you guys. And that doesn't mean He just keeps you from going to hell. It means He saves your life. And so, Jesus is blowing up this value system tonight. I'm, I'm praying tonight that there would be like a mass deliverance of the love of money, of pride, of self-preservation, of all the attempts to pull yourself up, promote yourself, be your best you. I pray that tonight you can be the authentic you. Which is a you that desperately, desperately, desperately needs Jesus. And just like Jesus who said, I can do nothing except what I see the Father doing. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do what? You guys know the verse? Apart from me, you can do nada, zilch, zero. How many of you know that's freedom? Come on, it's about to break something off of us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs are the kingdom of heaven. It's like you get one thing and you get everything. But you try to get everything and you get nothing. You get one thing, you get everything. You try to get everything, you get nothing. (laughs) Blessed are the poor in spirit. Here we are in a little room in the middle of the night, lifting our voices because we know that there is joy unspeakable. So what, what I'm telling you is, Jesus is not telling you tonight to repent of your desire for joy, or healing, or fulfillment, or success. What he wants to do is retrain your thinking. That success is intimacy with him. And success is loving other people, because The next verse, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What is he talking about? You ever felt in an environment like this, you come into a prayer meeting, and you're like, I am just not good at being spiritual. Don't raise your hand, but that's everybody. Like, even the ones that are, like, up here dancing around, they're still not good at being spiritual. Can we just keep it real here for a second? Blessed are those who mourn. You know what the mourning is? It's a recognition that there's so much more available in God, and I don't have that yet manifesting in my life. And there's an ache, and there's a desire. There's a mourning over everything Jesus purchased for, and then our essential barrenness in ourselves. And Jesus calls that blessed. Why? Because they're in touch with reality. And so, here's the point. You come in here and you go, 
I don't have what it takes. I don't know how to do this. How many of you know, then you're qualified? <laughs> oh, seriously, I want to say that again. You might be sitting in this room going, I, I don't have what it takes to be like the spiritual rock star. I don't, I don't have what it takes to be a world changer. And the Lord looks at you and goes, well, then you, you're qualified. What? That's the best news ever. You don't have to have what it takes. Blessed are those who mourn because they don't have what it takes to be righteous. They're going to be comforted. They're going to get it. Because God comes to the poor in spirit. He comes to those that know they don't have it together. He comes to those, those that know they need him. He comes to those that aren't spiritual, not the ones that are. Remember the Pharisees, the spiritual guys? It doesn't work. The guy in the parable standing next to the Pharisee that's beating his chest going, Father, forgive me. He goes, there's the guy. Come to that guy. You're in here, you're like 24-hour prayer. Like, I don't know how to do 20-minute prayer. Talk to God. Don't quit. You don't have to work it up. There's nothing in the Bible that says, work up an encounter. God, I'm going to, it's like, it doesn't work. You ever tried it? What'd I miss? Oh, somebody said yes. Yeah, me too. I've tried it. I, I don't know if you guys are charismatics or not. Um, I mean, it's Kai Alpha, so some charismatics here. But you ever seen when sometimes people fall down and stuff? Stuff happens? I, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but where are the fake fallers at? I know you're in here. No, I'm not kidding. I know the fake fallers are in here because I've done the fake fall before. Especially when they have these guys called catchers. You know what I'm talking about? And they're all like back there. And you're like, well, what the heck? You know, just. <laughs> it's real too, by the way. It's real too. But you know what I'm talking about. It, it is real. I believe in all that stuff. I'm just saying the good news of the gospel right now, the value system, is that God is rewiring you from self-dependence into total and complete God-dependence. And he's freeing you from the illusion that you can fix yourself. And he's freeing you from the deception of humanism. That we can go change the world in our own personalities and the poor in spirit realize, I can't change the world in my own personality. I don't have what it takes. But I know the one that does. And I'm going to cling to him. I'm not going to cling to my life. I'm not going to cling to my money. I'm not going to cling to my dreams. I'm not going to even cling to my ministry. I'm going to cling to him. And I'm going to be free from all the other stuff because my value, my worth, my identity is not in what I'm doing for God. And it's not in all these external, external successes that are like the wind. They just blow away. How many rich celebrities are there out there that are depressed out of their minds? Because it's all an illusion. You don't get happier. At the end of the day, through that worldly demonic thing, 
It's shouting from the mountaintop. And Jesus going, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, that actually feel their need for God. You ever walked out of a prayer meeting or a worship, and you just had hunger for God? And almost like, it's like lovesickness. It's like pain. God, I want you so bad, and I feel the gap between what I desire in you and knowing you and what I'm knowing right now. You ever had that? And you walk out, and you feel like, man, something must be wrong with me. And the heaven's looking at you going, no. That's the gift of God. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. Blessed are those that have that going on in their heart. That's a miracle. Because a lot of your friends are just coasting through life in the illusion. You woke up. You have pain in your heart because you want God. It's a miracle. And you'll be comforted. And then, the next verse, Jesus changes it to how we treat other people. I remember when I was 23, graduated college, got married all in the same year. Didn't have a job, though. I was trying to figure out. I had like three ministry opportunities. I was praying and fasting. Went to Kansas City. And I, guys, I had, a, I had a ministry plan. I don't know if you guys are like me, but I had it written down. I had documents. I had diagrams. I was going to change the world. Now, you guys have no idea. This was the, I was going to start a house of prayer, and I'm like, I should go to this place. I should go to Kansas City because there's a house of prayer there. So I go, and I've got meetings set up, and I'm on day 11 of a fast for the world changer, right? And all of a sudden, I feel like God is resisting me on every side. And it's like nothing's working, and all the meetings get canceled. And I'm like, God, what's the deal? Don't you know who you're dealing with here? I've got diagrams. I know. And I'm like frustrated, and and then I get sick, just being honest. And I'm like, the fast ends, and I'm like, Jesus. And I walk into this meeting, this guy, Mike Bickle's preaching, and he says, the title of the message was, David's, King David, David's core values of intimacy and meekness. And I sat in that message, and it felt like a hammer hitting my heart for an hour straight. And I realized, God, you're reorienting my entire value system. You're redefining success. Success is in love for God and others. Success is in being loved by God and then pouring it out. Success is in meekness towards people. And I went, God, I don't even know what I've been living for. You know what meekness means? That might sound like a weird language. Because Jesus says it right here. It's the next verse. Blessed are the meek, for they inherit the whole earth. I don't know if you caught that. I love Jesus for that verse, just in and of itself. Blessed are the meek, for they get the whole earth. Again, atomic bomb on our value system. Right there. Because meekness, what it means is to leverage. It doesn't mean you're weak and pathetic. It means you leverage whatever you have for other people's good. It's about how you treat people. You know Jesus cares about how you treat people? And and did you know there's greater glory in learning how to love people than anything else? 
I mean, other than loving God himself. And, and so Jesus goes, hey guys, I'm going to drop the next atomic bomb on the false value system. Blessed are the meek, for they get the entire earth. In the age to come, do you know it's only the humble that are going to rule the earth? Jesus is going to finally and fully do away with human pride. And when we say human pride, a lot of times we think arrogance, like, you know. Er no, most of the time human pride is just self-reliance. But you can be free of that. You can be free in 72 hours of prayer. You can reevaluate your whole value system and give the rest of your life where your core definition of success is intimacy with Jesus and serving other people. Imagine if there was a million college students across America that they lived for that. So just dream for a minute. Let's just dream for Virginia Tech. What is it, 30,000 students? Something like that here? Imagine if a third of them, 10,000 students, caught the dream that, yes, God might call me to be an engineer. Yes, God might call me to be a businessman. Yes, God might call me to be a missionary. Those are my assignment, but the purpose of those things, the defining value, the definition of success, whether I'm famous or not, whether I'm rich or not as rich, whether I have uh, the external accolades of other people shouting me down and cheering me on, whether my social media following is massive or small, I'm defining success as intimacy with Jesus. Like how much, this is, what, this is what happened in my prayer life. God, when I'm 80 years old, I want a fragrance on my life. When I'm at the end of my life, I want a fragrance of intimacy with you. I want your presence. What if the presence of God became your greatest pursuit? That's what the poor in spirit do. They go, forget all the other stuff. They're not less joyful. They're not disconnected from pursuing success. They found real success. They found it's not in themselves or what they could work up or strive after or produce. It's in the intimacy and the interaction. It's in the conversation with God that they're finding their greatest joy. And they're like, I'm going to give the rest of my life. That's success. Whether people know who I am or don't, I don't have to compete with anybody anymore. I'm free from pulling people, other people down to push myself up. All that stuff blows up like an atomic bomb. You don't have to compete with anyone. You don't have to push other people down. You don't have to be arrogant. You don't have to protect yourself and strive after self-preservation. You're free because success isn't rooted in any of that anymore. It's in intimacy. It's in God's personal presence. And guess what? That door is wide open. Children can enter into that. That offends me a little bit. Jesus didn't say, change and become like a scholar. And I believe in scholarship, but you understand my point. He said, change and become like a child. Because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. He's blowing up our value system, and he's setting us free. And then the next verse Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be, anybody see the word? Satisfied. Is there a generation, Gen Z, out there that needs to be satisfied? They're not lacking hunger and thirst. It's misdirected hunger and thirst because they're living in an illusion of what satisfies. But when young men and young women get a glimpse, just a glimpse 
I'm not talking like you have to have an open vision and see Jesus face to face. That's amazing too. Most people don't have that right away or whatever. All you need is a glimpse of love that's better than wine. Of in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Just a glimpse. It'll ruin you for life. And it'll reorient your values. And suddenly you'll live for one thing, and then you get everything. He's setting you free, Gen Z, to be a generation of one thing. One treasure. David was the man of one thing, Psalm 27.4. One thing I've desired of the Lord. That's why God exalted him to become king of Israel. And to be the line, the messianic line that produced the Messiah. That's why God exalted David, because he had the core value. He wasn't just exalting a man, he was exalting the value. He called him out of the field, the shepherd boy playing the harp. He goes, David's got it. He's got it. He's got the one thing. He's not gripped for the love of money. Yes, he was king, but his heart was preoccupied with being a priest. Yes, he had an assignment to steward massive wealth, but that wasn't his preoccupation. He was a person of one thing, whether I'm famous or hidden, whether I have massive following or nobody knows who I am. If I get one thing, I'm fully got it. And what if a generation got it? And they realized, I I remember God broke my whole thing, uh, my whole false value system, or I should say it's been a process since then, but that that was the hammer blow that I just described. But earlier, when I was young, my parents started taking me, we started going to all these, these, uh, these gatherings where God was moving. And I'm like 10, 11, 12, 14, 15, I'm like early high school, and I'm looking at this stuff, and I'm like, what is going on? But this hunger started. Some of you in this room, you're like, I'm hungry. I want to tell you right now, I'm old. 41. Yeah, wow. Okay, yeah, thanks for that. I'm, I'm the ancient of days here. And not that one. I'm not being blasphemous. Just. And, but, but I remember this hunger began to happen. I got so hungry. I, and some of you might be really hungry for God. Or maybe there's only a little glimmer of hunger for God. Maybe the hunger for God is, if what this guy's talking about is real, I'm interested. There's a spark. It's a gift of God. Because hunger for God in heaven is like a currency. He doesn't come to those that have it all together. He comes to the hungry. He comes to the ones that desire him. You know why? Because he desires you. You know, King David was a student of the emotions of God. You ever thought about the emotions of what does God feel? We don't trust emotions because your and my emotions are flaky. We feel things that aren't true. We exaggerate. But God's emotions aren't flaky, right? They're steady. But you better believe God is filled with burning desires and emotions. To be a student of God's heart, his emotions, was David. He was a man after God's heart. What does God feel? And I want to tell you something. That blows my mind. 
that in the midst of all that God, God's glory, one of the things that, that is true is that God is the happiest person that's ever existed. I wonder what God looks like to you when you look up at him. I'm not saying he doesn't get angry and get sad, because he does. But in the core of his being, he is joy. Capital J, joy. In his presence is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. Maximum joy. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy would be in you and your joy would be full, complete. So break the illusion of worldly happiness and embrace the reality of eternal joy. And when you get a generation that sees that, that they know God is ecstatically joyful in the core of his being. He's the definition of joy. The enemy has always tried to rob us of that revelation, hasn't he? He's misconstrued God day and night to get us into some illusion that God is just a taskmaster. I want to tell you, there are these angels in heaven, these seraphim that are covered with eyes, and every time they open their eyes, covered with eyes, they see him and they cry out holy. Yeah, I know, it's weird. I, I, they're covered with eyes within and without, it says in Revelation 4. So I, but what are they doing? They're, they're beholding him. They see him. And they cry out, holy, holy, holy. And then they, that wave hits them. And they recover. And all their eyes open up. Holy, holy, holy. And they can do that for a billion years and never have a moment of boredom. Because we have no idea, even those of us that think they do, the reality of the glory of who God is. We haven't even scratched the surface yet. When Moses stood on that mountain thousands of years ago, he stood there. Some of you guys might remember this story, Exodus 33. God says, hey, Moses, you're going to go in the promised land. I'm going to send you a nice, strong angel. And Moses goes, no, nope. Unless your presence goes with us, don't even send us. You guys remember that story? Anybody remember that? And then God goes, my presence will go with you. And then Moses explodes with desire. He goes, show me your glory. Ah. Can you feel like that desire in Moses as he goes, God, this is not enough. Is there anybody in the room that's in that not enough crowd? Except I'm serious right now. Where are you at? You don't have, you don't have it all yet. You're, you're, you got that like wild-eyed look. You're like, not enough, not enough. I don't care what it takes. I do not care what it takes. And Jesus go, and, and Moses goes, show me your glory. And God goes, okay, I'm going to hide you in the clefts of the rock. I'm, you're just going to see the back of me because if you see me in full strength, you'll die. Because your physical body can't even handle all that I am. But I'll show you just the back. And then he says this, he goes, I will cause my goodness to pass before you. Because the glory of God is the goodness of God. God is good. 
God is joyful. He's a father. And he's breaking off that orphan spirit off a whole generation, and he's giving you eyes for him. See, you don't get hunger for God by just gritting your teeth and working it up. You get hunger for God when you just begin to see a little bit what he's like. All you got to see is just a little glimpse of what he's like. And then all the other loves just And when I was that teenage guy, we went to all these meetings, and I was in this thing in Florida. And you had to wait 12 hours in line to get into the 7 p.m. service. Because when God starts showing up, people are born for that encounter with Jesus, and so they hunger for it. And so they stood 12 hours in line, and I didn't. I went to McDonald's. My parents stood in line. And then I just cut right there with them at the end and got in. And we're sitting there, and, oh, and, there's, and God's moving. And I remember I was laying on the floor of that little church with the red carpet. And I'm pounding my fist. I'm 15 years old, and I'm pounding my fist on the ground. I said, God, if you don't touch me, I'm going to die. I've got to have you. I can't live without you. I've seen a little bit. As a 15-year-old, I've seen a little bit, and I'm gripped. And I didn't know Jesus prior to that point. I grew up in a pastor's family, but I didn't have a relationship with God. But I was desperately hungry. I had to have him. I'd seen a little bit. It's not this orphan striving thing. We're not talking about, like, trying to get God's attention, because you already have his attention. But I'm talking about, I can't live without more. I want you, God, more than even food. You might not be there yet, but I want to tell you this. Lean into hunger, and it increases. Don't express it, and it, it shrivels up. And I, I remember I got up, I was walking out of that church, 15 years old. I'd been pounding my fist on that red carpet. God, if you don't touch me, I'm going to die. I didn't know what I was doing. It wasn't sophisticated. It was it's the most unsophisticated thing you've ever seen. A 15-year-old kid laying on the ground, pounding my fist on the red carpet, going, God, if you don't touch me, I'm going to die. I don't even know if you're real, but you have to touch me. You have to show me yourself. I don't care if I, what it looks like. I'm not just asking for some manifestation. I'm asking for you. I've got to see you. I've got to know. Is there anybody like that? Anybody in this room that goes, I don't even know what it's all about. I have to know him. I can't read about it anymore. I can't just hear other people talk about it anymore. I have to know you. And I, and I got up off that ground, and I'm walking out, and this guy walks up, and in that church, they had golden usher badges. Gold, it was gold. It said usher. I don't know who the guy is. That's all I know about him. He said, hey, young man, can I pray for you? I said, yes, sir. And I'm thinking to myself, I've had five people pray for me. And I'll be honest with you, I also thought, I'm not giving this guy a courtesy fall either. I actually had that thought. And this guy goes to pray for me, and he puts his hand, he just goes, Jesus. And all of a sudden, it was like, it's what the Bible calls a baptism of fire. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Do you know what happened in Acts chapter 2 when they were filled with the Holy Spirit? Yeah, they did speak in tongues, but it wasn't just a gift of the Spirit. What happened is the love of God permeated their being. They became different. They became different not because they fixed themselves. They became different because the Holy Spirit filled them. Poor in spirit, hunger and thirst. 
There they are. And I remember this, it's a 15-year-old kid. I'm walking out of the room, and the power of God's love hit me. To be honest with you, at that point, I could not stand up. You don't have to have that kind of experience. Some do, some don't. I'm not promoting a specific experience, but I am saying that's what happened to me. They had to carry me around for like two months in every meeting. The next thing you know, we go back to our little town and our little youth group, and some little kid comes up to me and goes, hey, can you, can you, pray? Can we, can you pray for my friend? Mind you, like weeks earlier, I was barely, if at all, following the Lord. In fact, I went to a Christian school where nobody that I knew at the time loved Jesus in a Christian school. And some teacher hears David Bradshaw got saved. So they put me in front of the whole chapel. My favorite text was Revelation 3, where Jesus said, if you're lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. It's my favorite text, which was the text of the day. And you can imagine how that sermon went. Really good and really bad, just all the above. But we're in a little prayer meeting, and this kid says, hey, can you pray for me? And I just had this thing happen in Florida. I didn't know what happened, except that I knew I could never doubt the existence of God ever again. Because that was not fake. That was not a courtesy fall. That was the actual love of God. The Holy Spirit baptized me in fire. I get up, and, and next thing you know, it was a boys' Bible study with like 10 teenage boys in someone's basement. Next thing you know, the whole room is in an encounter with the Lord that went hour after hour after hour. And these teenage boys are getting filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're singing and praying, and moms are trying to come pick their kids up, and the moms can't get out of the basement. They go down, and they're stuck. And then the girls' Bible studies across town, we're like, get over to the boys' Bible study, and they come over. And the Lord hits them, and next thing you know, hundreds of high school kids start getting saved and encountering God. And next thing you know, we're in a move of God. And then some kid comes to us in the midst of all this and goes, hey, what if we pray 24 hours a day? And I'm like, that's the worst idea I've ever heard. That's going to be the hardest thing I've ever done, 24 hours a day. But we did it for three days. And then the same thing that happened in that basement began to happen all three days, except it didn't lift for three days straight. And then next thing you know, kids are walking in the prayer room that didn't know Jesus at all. One of them just heard the music, walks in. I just talked to this person. She was in the Middle East. I just had talked to her the other day, actually. She walked into the very first ever prayer meeting, 24 hours a day, walks in, falls on her face, and gets saved right in the middle of the room and is now a missionary in the nations. Things started to happen that you could never produce. How many of you want to be a part of divine storylines that you could never make up? Things started happening to us that I'd only read about. Creative miracles started. I remember when one girl's lung was recreated. You're supposed to have two, right? She had one. And she's worshiping the Lord, and all of a sudden she realizes she can breathe. She goes back to get an x-ray and realizes the Lord, without anybody ever praying for her, gave her her second lung. When stuff like that starts to happen, you start to go, wait a second, what is happening? Is this me? Is this happening to us? I want to say to Chi Alpha, Virginia Tech, God has things in store for you that no eye has seen and no ear has heard. All those people you sit next to in class every day, how many of you know Jesus has eyes on those people? 
He wants to do things on this campus that you can't make up or fabricate or even produce in your own strength. Because guess what? Poor in spirit. God never told you to go do the miracles. He just told you to put your hand on the sick people. You do your part, he does his part. That's not that hard. Ask him first. Right? I mean, like, just let's do some protocol here. Don't be the charismatics that don't ask before you pray for people. That's not a good policy. Be gentle. But, like, this isn't that hard to do. Lord, I ask you to heal this body in the name of Jesus. It's not that hard. But keep doing it, and God does all the heavy lifting. What I'm saying is that you were born for the conversation and the pursuit. You were born with the gift of spiritual hunger. I pray that the Lord would cause that hunger to rise in this place. I pray that the 72 hours of prayer would not just be an event. I pray it would be a marking. I pray it would be an awakening of the gift of spiritual hunger. That God would stir us and that God would begin to baptize some of you in the fire of God. That's not just for charismatic people. It's for everybody that's a follower of Jesus to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To know him in a personal way where he is actually dwelling in your life in a fresh and a powerful way. It's, it's your inheritance. But the great news is you don't have to work it up or manufacture it. You don't have to act a certain way. You just need to be hungry. And continue to be hungry. Because Jesus said, ask and you receive. Seek and you find. Knock and the door will be open to you. It's not might be open to you. It will be open to you. I don't know when. I don't know how. I don't know what it looks like. Sometimes there's delays. There's oftentimes process. There's oftentimes moments where you feel. But when you feel that gap and you feel like, God, I'm asking you, but I haven't seen it yet, or I, I feel the desire for more of you, but I don't feel like I'm experiencing it, that's a gift of God to you. Don't run from it. Lean into it. Don't be afraid of spiritual hunger. Go, this is a gift. I feel the desire for more of God, things that eyes not seen and ears not heard, divine storylines. I, I, I know many of you have these stories in this room, but the things that God has done in the culture of simple spiritual hunger is absolutely stunning. And it will happen in this campus. It's already happening, but it's going to happen more. And it's going to happen because of these 72 hours. So I want to encourage you I think that there's a wholesale deliverance going on from the false value system. Time to get free. It's time to get free of self-reliance. It's time to get free of the false identities, the false definitions of success that are permeating your heart and go, I'm going to become a person of one thing. That's the way you were made to be. It's not super spirituality that's unrelatable. That Sermon on the Mount, that's not unrelatable. That's meek. That's loving other people. That's meeting people where they are. That, that's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what happens when you're filled with the Spirit. It's not less relevant. It's more relevant. It, it could turn a campus upside down. I was driving, last story, I was driving through North Carolina, 
past Wake Forest University. And it hit my heart that I exist because of a move of God on that campus. My dad came from a family that was entirely unbelievers, not a single Christian in his family, never even knew a Christian his whole life, a real one. Goes to Wake Forest University, roommate is a Southern Baptist kid that loves Jesus, preaches the gospel every day to him. He's like, this kid's crazy. I didn't know people like this existed. Well, all of a sudden, my dad has this hunger hit his life. All of a sudden, he's up at night, and he can't stop thinking about these existential questions. Next thing you know, he finds himself believing, and he surrenders his whole life to Jesus, and then guess what happens? One night, his roommate wakes up speaking in a language he doesn't know. None of them ever heard of this. He's like, what's going on? And the guy goes, check out my idol. They don't know what's happening. It's the Bible. It's the gift of tongues this guy got. And then the roommate down the hall hears it, comes running down. He's like, I know what this is. I've heard of this. Explains it. Next thing you know, God starts moving in a dorm. And next thing you know, this move of God breaks out on Wake Forest University in the late 1970s. And all of these college students are getting saved. And a move of God is breaking out on the campus. And then my dad meets my mom in the move of God. I'm driving past and I went, it's kind of weird. I exist because of the move of God on that campus. And I wonder what God wants to do on Virginia Tech in the next few years. I wonder what God wants to do in your heart How many of you just sense that he's coming close? That was God. God set the alarm off right at the right moment. I was in this prayer meeting and the alarm went off. (laughs) Hey, can we stand up? Jesus... Jesus, we hunger. I ask you for the gift of spiritual hunger for Chi Alpha and for each individual. Go ahead if you want to. If you're comfortable stretching out your hands to the Lord, I encourage you to do it. You don't have to, but let's ask him. If you're not hungry for him, if there's not an ache in your heart for more, then I want to encourage you to ask him for it. Sometimes all you do is just start asking. But Lord, we want, us, we want to move in the stories of God. We want to see heaven invade Virginia Tech campus. We want to see what eyes not seen and ears not heard. And we know that in your presence, there's fullness of joy. You're the Father above every other Father. The Father from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. And you are calling us to be rooted and grounded in love. And I pray... Holy Spirit, I ask you to come right now to this little room on Virginia Tech, just like you did in Wake Forest University in 1979 or 8. I ask you to do it right here in 2022, right after COVID, right after all the gnarly stuff. Holy Spirit, I ask you to land on this place. I ask you to raise up a prayer movement on this campus that would go after you. Lord, they would go after you because they know you move at the sound of our voices. It's not fake. It's real. Lord, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. They will be filled. Not maybe, definitely. 
so God I pray that that kind of hunger would come God let it come let it come give us the gift of spiritual hunger God I'm asking for myself I've been in ministry for years I need another wave of hunger I need you to break off the callousness of my own heart God I need you to awaken my soul God we come here tonight desperately hungry for you come and awaken our souls Lord Awaken the groan and the desire and the ache and the love sickness, God. Break off the wrong seductive value systems. Break off the idolatry of the heart, God. Break off every other thing. And I ask you, Lord, as the eternal bridegroom, that you would right now rush upon this place. Thank you for tuning in to the Ignite Sessions podcast. To learn more about Virginia Tech Chi Alpha, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it using the hashtag TheIgniteSessions. We'll see you next time.